change is the only constant. And our ability to pivot with the right response to the market forces is a hallmark of a true leader. And I believe every member of my team is a leader. Real quick note, my family and I just got back from an incredible cruise with UnCruise. Now we'd experienced what cruising was like on a big ship with thousands of people. And frankly, it just wasn't for us. But this one was completely different. It was a small boat of less than 100. We had an amazing time where we saw whales and other wildlife, inspiring nature, hiking, kayaking, and bushwhacking, which is hiking without the trails. And we received incredibly personalized service guides who get you off the beaten path and gorgeous sunsets. Everything was so easy and with no lines. They provided incredible meals, including sustainable seafood, not to mention a list of impressive cocktails. My wife, daughter, and I loved it. When we returned, I asked UnCruise to become a show sponsor, and I was excited when they agreed. Right now, they're offering special deals on cruises in Baja, Mexico, and Alaska that includes the incredible luxury, service, and adventure that we experience. To learn more, go to benleads.com slash cruise. That's benleads.com slash cruise for the latest deals. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Elaine the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode today. I have for you Nitty Alexander, who is CMO of Hexaware and previously served as a senior leader over at Infosys and Mindtree, where she received the Chairman's Award. She also happens to be the mother of twin teenage boys. Thank you, Ben, for having me. It's a great honor and privilege. You're known for saying that successful leaders can flex and adapt to any situation. Once a time, that, that was helpful for you. You know, my leadership mantra has always been, we cannot direct the wind, but what we can do is adjust the sales. Successful leaders can flex and adapt to just about any situation, right? Leadership is never a one-size-fits-all proposition. And the best leaders are those who understand what is needed, then pivot to provide a solution that will truly make a difference. Mm -hmm. Sometimes being adaptable can just help you respond to changing circumstances, and it will truly ensure that your team is successful at all times like a captain navigating the open sea and adjust the sails based on the direction of the wind, I believe every leader must ensure that the organization pivots based on market conditions. Yeah, like you say, adjust the sails. A lot of leaders come in, and I admire leaders with a leadership vision. And I think that's important. But also, things do change. When they change, you got to be flexible. How do, what do you say to your team? Like maybe you've been communicating your leadership vision of the team each and every day. And you're like, we're doing this. This is what we're doing. And then, as you say, the, the wind changes. Things change the marketplace. But leader may be thinking inside, hey, if I, if I don't, like if I change now, I'm going to seem like I'm a flip-flopper. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be seen as a strong leader. What do you say in those moments, Tom? One of the things I've always told my team, change is the only constant. 
and our ability to pivot with the right response to the market forces is a hallmark of a true leader. And I believe every member of my team is a leader because they pivot to get the right results at the right time. And that's something that I've constantly, I'm a solid planner, but a plan is only good as it works well for the situation at hand. So I think we should always learn to adapt and change based on the market situation. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's wise counsel to, to be thinking about that way. Because you get so caught up in your leadership vision, you can start to get this tunnel vision about everything for you and your team. And you don't have to be afraid of being seen as a flip-flopper or a weak leader when you change. If you start out with a philosophy of, oh, this is what we're doing today. But as you say, change is the only constant. So it could change tomorrow. I say, I suspect as a leader, though it helps to explain what the change actually is that's happening out in the world. So it helps you maintain credibility, huh? What do you think? Absolutely. What was your first job and how does it influence your leadership today? Ben, I actually started my full-time career as a television journalist with Star Television. I was owned by News Corp, so I actually worked for Star Television, B Sky B, National Geographic, Fox News, and I loved it because I was able to interact with people across diverse cultures, geographies, from prominent politicians to Nobel laureates to filmmakers to also isolated tribes in remote parts of South Asia. Hmm. What it really taught me was to celebrate people from all walks of life get inspired, learn from them. I learned that everybody has the ability to teach us a few things, you know, give us insights, change the way we do things, maybe even connect us to someone who can help solve a problem at hand. And right from the ground floor to the boardroom, the value of professional networking cannot be understated. You never know which door is a connection, right? Mm. Or may open doors to somebody whose insights can just illuminate your path. I always encourage my team to build these bridges, both internally within the organization and also externally. Because at the end of the day, your network is your net worth. Building and maintaining a strong network of contacts is absolutely crucial. So you came out and that was your first gig out of school. Your first job was working with a huge network. I mean, that what what a terrific way to, to have all those discoveries on the job. Was there one specific interview you did or one story that you did that was particularly transformational for you? I mean, it was such a fantastic job. For example, I've had the chance to interview the Nobel laureate Amartya Sen. And as part of one of the programs, Focus Asia, he actually invited us to his house in Shantiniketan to just be there with him, learn about his life. You know, I think when he was 11 years old, he actually started a drive to collect pencils and paper and stationery for students in Bangladesh who were going through a bad time. You know, I think he started early to just see and learn from this man on how he started early, it is those little things that I think that taught me that everyone, you know, whether it's a Nobel laureate or it's somebody from the Bishnoi tribe in the heart of Rajasthan who are trying to save the deer, everybody hmm. had a very, very strong purpose and a goal. 
And how they work towards getting towards it is a journey that we can learn from and always stay inspired from. Wow, you took a lot from that. I mean, it's really cool to think about it. Now you're an executive in in the business sense, but it sounds like you saw, you learned so many lessons through that job and that part of your career that it's that it probably you know one of the reasons that it, that you've accelerated your career in the C-suite. Oh, absolutely! And, uh, such a broad experience, and I like what you said about that that saying of your network's your net worth, and that's one of the things I like about podcasting. I get to talk to leaders like yourself, you know, around the globe. I encourage the listeners: Hey, look, if you don't have a podcast or you haven't been interviewed on a podcast, start thinking about this because it's a great way to get your message out in the media, or better yet, get on national, international news, just like Nitty, find somebody out there <laughs> like her to interview you. Or what was the sort of, what was the key just to be noteworthy with, with that? I mean, like, what, what do you say to executives who want to be um, on television? I think for people who want a career in the media, they just have to love being with people. Hmm. Because it's never the same thing, right? Like I said, one day you are in a five-star hotel interviewing a politician. Next day you are in the heart of a village doing an interview and you don't know where your next meal is coming from because you're far away from the highway. And you're just, you know, living off biscuits or waiting for the headman of the village to offer you some food because there's no restaurant or anything close by. So just learning to live life to the fullest as a full adventure is something that you need to love to do if you want to get into news. I like that. What's been the worst leadership advice that you've ever heard? You know, once I got into the corporate bandwagon, you know, I often heard people say, do it like it's always been done, right? Experts love to preach about something that has been done, time tried methods that have worked in a certain corporation, in a certain context, and that's why it's going to work for you. But just because a strategy worked in one context, I don't believe it can just be copied to get the same results in another organization or perhaps even in the same context, because you always have to up your game and make it better. And there's never one way or the right way. We live in a very, very fast-changing industry. We have to constantly break the mold, innovate, build next best practices. And when problem solving, I always tell my team, don't get stuck on how something has been done before. Just because if that's the way it's been done, it doesn't mean that's the only way, right? And I think leaders have to kind of train their teams to constantly change, constantly pivot. In fact, when I started leading our market efforts as head of marketing for Hexaware, I inherited a portfolio that was very, very heavy on content syndication and light on events. And when content syndication obviously turned out and churned out a lot of marketing qualified leads, but when you looked into the data, you realized that the conversion rate of marketing qualified leads into sales qualified opportunities left much to be desired. So what we did is we looked at the data and we said, can we redirect our focus towards events as the primary driver of sales qualified opportunities? And like you said, you know, we brought the data to the table and together as a team, we made that decision. 
that we were going to pivot with events as the primary driver of sales qualified leads. And it was a challenging choice because you, when you're prioritizing something, you have to cut funds somewhere else. Sure. But the outcome of the shift has been nothing short of remarkable. I stepped into the role of CMO in the middle of 2022. And in that year, we executed 16 events. In 2023, we managed over 40 events on the same budget. And we wow. created yeah. over 500% increase in demand generation through the marketing channel. The decision was not easy, but I believe results always speak for themselves. Yeah, I love those examples of using the data and having the courage to make a change based on it. Sometimes the data is not perfect, but it sounds like in that situation, you made the right call and the data was right. Yeah, my goodness. And just a great, a great sort of call to action for all leaders to be thinking about how they're commuting to their team that they can do it differently and how that's, that's accepted. Because if you don't actively communicate to your team that it's acceptable and even recommended around here to challenge the status quo, they just won't do it. Every once in a while you get maybe like a rebel rouser, so to speak. It's like, I'm going to challenge the status quo. But most people, like unless you really make that, hey, that's how we want to operate in our culture around here, they're, they're not going to do it. What's the key? Like, it sounds like for me, or it sounds like to me, you're just communicating that, putting that out there to them. Absolutely. And even if something has worked really well, if there's an event that has worked really, really well for us and we had a certain process, I will always challenge my team and say, did one of the competitors do something different that got them phenomenal results? Can we see if we can incorporate that idea and make it our own? And always have a fail-fast mentality, right? You try it, see if it works, you know, do a sample test. If it doesn't, give it up. But if it's something that you want to try out, you never know, you might just succeed. But have that mentality as a team to constantly try out new things. Because otherwise, you know, you'll just be following somebody else. You'll never be able to kind of pick up an idea, make it your own or come up with your own ideas. Over the years, what's been your biggest source of inspiration and what's a challenging time that I got you through? Uh, you know, I think my biggest source of inspiration is people, right? At the end of the day, nothing is ever more inspirational than the unbelievable stories of other people, stories that we can identify with at one level or the other. Throughout my life, I've been extremely privileged to work with many inspiring leaders. Sometimes it is because fate just put me in their path, right? Mm-hmm. Other times it was because I myself put myself in that path because, and I refused to move. And I'm a firm believer that you have to consciously put yourself out there and surround yourself with people who inspire you and from whom you can constantly learn. I believe opportunity only dances with those who are already on the dance floor. And it's really up to us whether we are, you know, on our toes and ready to waltz. For example, when I took on the role of the head of academic relations at Infosys, it was a huge career shift from journalism, moving to technology, understanding universities, how they worked. I decided I was going to take this opportunity to learn from everybody around me. 
I knew how to build a brand. I knew how to make sure that newspapers saw this as an extremely differentiated story. But I did I know everything about how universities worked, what made students want to choose to intern at a particular corporation? The answer was no. But I decided to learn from everyone around me, from Mr. Narayan Murthy, the founder of Infosys, whose dream project was to start a program like this, to the professors, to the career center staff at the universities, to even interns, right? Constantly learn from the interns as to what's working for them, what's not. Do they see another internship program there that we should emulate or, you know, take pointers from? Just having this ability to take inputs and pointers from everyone and then craft my version of a world-class internship program, I think made the big difference. Today, I'm really proud that INSTEP, the global internship program that I built several years ago, continues to be the number one internship program, according to Walt. And honestly, it's a testament to the ideas that came from 18-year-olds to 55-year-olds. And the important thing is just to be open to those ideas. Are you looking to increase sales, grow your brand, and share your leadership message? then check out our business podcast program. Each week, more people listen to podcasts than have Netflix accounts, and one-third of the U.S. population listens to podcasts regularly. So your customers and team are already listening to podcasts. It should be yours. Discover our five-step profitable podcast framework and what results you can expect for your company by setting up a 20-minute call with my team at benleads.com slash schedule. That's benleads.com slash schedule. Learning from all these sources at one time, especially when you moved into that new role for emphasis, what did you do to deal with the overwhelmingness of stepping into a new role and getting all this, I mean, getting all this information and having probably more things to do than you had the time to do? What's the secret? I think the secret is surrounding yourself with people from whom you can learn from and then taking their advice and seeing, can you apply it in your context? If you can't apply it, are there ideas from here that you can pick up and make it your own and be willing to change and learn? You can't walk into any roles thinking that you know everything because nobody knows everything. Yeah. You just have to be open and have that willingness and that humility to constantly learn. I truly believe in the concept of, you know, continuous improvement and continuous development. It's not just a technology term. It is something mm -hmm. that I think each one of us has to apply in our life all the time. When you think about the people that you surround yourself with, do you have sort of a, like a methodical way of going about it? Like I'm looking at thinking about my personal life now. I'm thinking about my my team at work. Are they on my broader contacts and, and other companies? Like, what's your, what, or do you just sort of go with the flow and think about it? I mean, in the beginning of my career, for example, when I wanted to get into journalism, mm -hmm. I actually got an internship through, you know, my grad school. But I said I wanted to intern for Nutan Manmohan. She was a very, very well-known journalist. And she actually started the trend of, you know, putting out stories which were in-depth stories with a lot of research out there in the market. And I wanted to intern with her. She didn't know me. I didn't know her. And what I did is I actually went to her office. I sent her an email. I wrote her a letter. I went to her office. 
I waited. She said she didn't have time to, you know, meet me. And I, I, I think I waited for about six hours till she finally said, okay, come up, you know, I do have 15 minutes. And at the end of the interview, she said, you're hired, you know, come tomorrow. <laughs> so you went to her office and sat there for six hours? Yeah, I was a college student, right? And I wanted this internship. I had a backup, but she was my plan A. <laughs> Have you always had that approach, just just willing to stick with it and to be so proactive? Or is this a model for you? Or like it was nurt was it nature or nurture on this front when it comes to that? Because a lot of people would not sit there for six hours. Also, they would just be thinking about the person that they would like to connect with or work for, but not really getting specific about taking action. But you did it all right there. What was it? I think I've always been tenacious, right? You know, but at the same time, I will give it an outer limit and I'll say, I'll try to do this. But if I don't, then I have plan B, right? Having that adaptability. It's a combination of being tenacious and also having the adaptability. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you another example. When I was working with Star TV, we had an interview with Benazir Bhutto, the former uh, Prime Minister of Pakistan. And she had visited India. She had just finished traveling from Ajmer and she had come into the hotel room. We were supposed to have an interview and so was another channel as well. She came back and her office said that, you know what, she's having a headache. I think you'll have to cancel the shoot. The other channel was obviously very upset because you have to pay money for your crew and camera and all of that. Mm -hmm. And they left in a half. And I said, you know what? We're anyway paying for half day for this crew. Right? She's a human being. She's having a headache. Let's give her time. If she comes out by this time, because anyway, I'm paying the crew for time for a particular time slot. And great. If she doesn't, then that's fine. You know, we have to understand she's a human being at the end of the day and she's had a long day. Strangely enough, after an hour and a half, we didn't bother her at all. After an hour and a half, uh, somebody from her staff came and said she's feeling better. She's open to doing an interview. And... You know, to me, that kind of reinforced that you have to be tenacious. You know, give it your best shot. And there's an element in there of just wait and see. You can be tenacious without, like, you aren't banging on the door of the prime minister of Pakistan. Get out here. We have a crew. But you're just like, hey, we're just going to wait. Tell her we're here. She feels better. We're going to hang out. And it sounds like it paid off. It did. Once a time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and it had to lead to your success or growth on down the road. Well, I mean, when I started my career as a TV journalist, right, I absolutely loved it. And I, I was certain if you had asked me 20 plus years ago when I was doing that, I was certain this was my calling. And after I got married, life has a knack of throwing curveballs. I actually moved to a place with no media houses at that time. It was the right move for my new family, but it forced me to completely change my career aspirations and, you know, almost start from scratch. 
and transition to a completely new domain technology. But I think just being up for the challenge is something that I've learned. Life throws something at you, embrace it full force. Give it your very, very best. And I was just very, very privileged that I got a chance to join Infosys, lead their academic relations program. Like I said, it's the number one internship program. It actually got recognition from leading international publications. Everyone from a New York Times to a Boston Globe to an Asai Sibun in Japan wrote about this program. London Business School actually did a whole white paper about it. And I was so thrilled that I got a part to play in this program. And I don't think I would have got it if I had not embraced the change to, you know, the fullest. Mm -hmm. And even as my journey evolved, it's not like I always did the same thing. I didn't always say I'm going to do academic relations for the rest of my life. I said, can I try something new? So that's when I moved to analyst relations. It opened new doors, allowed me to gain new perspectives. My focus then became on forging new relationships, building a brand for a company, you know, creating next best practices from an analyst relations perspective, you know, creating as a huge source of revenue for the company and a demand generation source. And from Infosys, I actually moved to Mindtree because our CMO, Paul Godsegan, at that time when he moved to Mindtree, he wanted somebody to kind of build analyst relations as a demand generation source for Mindtree. And so I went on to take on that job and I refined my capabilities, got a chance to create the strongest demand generation engine for Mindtree through analyst and the advisory channels. In fact, that's how I got my job at Hexaware later because they wanted somebody mm-hmm. to kind of build that as a huge channel. So once I joined Hexaware, That's exactly what I started with. And then I became responsible for close to 60% of the demand generation of the entire company in the first year through sourcing advisory and analyst relations. And today as a chief marketing officer, I believe my story is really a testament to the boundless potential of just embracing new opportunities with an open heart and an insatiable curiosity at all times. Yeah, you and you wove in there be just being up for the challenge. You can sh- you could have shrunk away multiple times, but you keep going forward, and there's just something okay. Versus saying, Am I up for the challenge? No, I'm up for the challenge, and that and step one is I think it sounds like just showing up and be willing to go for it, having that willingness to be tenacious. So it's, I would say it's, it's inspired counsel on that front, uh, for sure. So starting to wind this up, Nitty, what are three success strategies that all employees need to understand? The way I think about it, number one, be clear about your purpose and your goal, right? If you're in a soccer field, you need to know where the goalpost is. Otherwise, you could just be tossing the ball around and kicking the ball around mm-hmm. without much effect. So be very clear about what your purpose and goal is. Second, commit, don't comply. Be committed to your goals and vision 110% rather than just complying with expectations of others. Three, always be driven by values and always be your authentic self. 
commit, don't comply. What do you say to somebody who's out there thinking, you know what? My job is about compliance. I'm not really committed to what we're doing here. I want to come in. I want to do my job and then go home. What do you say to them? You know, then it just becomes a job. It doesn't become a career or a passion. It becomes a career or a passion when you take the goal at hand, make it yours, make it your version of it, right? Like when I had started InStep, if I just run with the process that all, you know, all internship programs have, then it won't become a world-class program. It'll be just another program. So if you're not ready to commit to that goal of making it a world-class program, you will never get there. You have to constantly be thinking like over the weekends and your free time, how can I make this different? If I see something and I say, hey, can I pick this up? You know, just you're always in that frame of mind of trying to bring the best of everything and then making it yours. And I'm telling you, you know, I absolutely enjoy and love my work. And the reason I do that is because I have a goal and it's not just my goal. It's my team's goal and vision. If they see something that they really love, they come and say, okay, can we make this happen? Let's try it, right? So you have to create that environment where everybody is committed to their goals and truly passionate about it. Otherwise, you will just have a job. You will never really have a career. I like that. And one of the things I'm taking away from it is you want your team to take ownership and to be committed. And a great way to do that, a real tangible step is, hey, make your own version. Like, hey, here's your job description. You're starting in this role. Make your own version of this job. Or do here's some reports, examples, or you work on the budget for next year. Make your own version of it. It's like putting your thumbprint on the job, and it can help you take more ownership, help them take more ownership. It's more engaging. It's more fun if you're thinking about that twist. And I just sure do like that saying. An awful lot. Nitty, thank you for coming on Lead the Team today. Thank you for this opportunity, Ben. And at the end, all I can say is that this is such a great opportunity and a forum for us to just share ideas and also hear from people. Would you or your CEO be a good fit for this podcast? If you know a uniquely talented leader who has a story to share and a message to deliver, then we'd love to host them on the show. Go to benleads.com slash apply to fill out a quick form where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and my team will take a look to see if we're a good fit. That's benleads.com slash apply. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.